Hello and welcome to another episode of An Unqualified Guide to the Good Life, the podcast where we try to work out what it means to live well despite having no qualifications to do so. My name is Adam and with me as always is Nick, the Bard of Geneva, the Rapper Kamau, some dude who I know and now I feel like you do too. Hey Nick, how you doing? Hi Adam, well firstly I like to think of myself as a permanent enigma so... I would prefer if people uh, considered me a sort of an elusive, if if not if not sl- somewhat shady, actually slightly sinister character. I would prefer that tremendously. But um, yes, we are getting to know each other. I I know you personally. I think far far too well. Um, <laughs> the feeling is entirely mutual. <laughs> but uh, to our. Uh, Frankly, over familiarity, I, I propose a toast because uh, indeed this episode is is about wine, and yeah. uh, so we're both having a drink of it of the good, good old red wine. So I'm sending cheers. you a virtual cheers. And, I just uh, clicked it off the mic. We'll see how that sound um, goes. Uh, so Nick, what wine are you drinking? I am drinking a half <laughs> bottle here, a Chateau Clément Pichon Cru Bourgeois. I don't know what any of that means. It's from the year 2015. It was just what my parents would allow me to steal. <laughs> I I likewise am drinking a 2015 uh, uh, Casa Mendoza. It's a Malbec, an Argentinian wine. And that's the extent of what I know about it. <laughs> Good. So now that we've uh, established our credibility as experts <laughs> on this topic... <laughs> We uh, we're we're going to have a breakdown of the of the theme in a, in a way which is at this point really quite familiar to us. You know, I think we're going to start with some quotes. We're going to talk about some some potential health benefits. We're going to make some wings whimsical anecdotes about the cultural space that it occupies, and then and then and then we'll have some palate cleansers, some some m- m- a mouth swipers. Some that was disgusting. Why did some, you say some that? T- tongue swabbers? Tongue swabbers. Nick, that's so clinical. We're just here to have a good time and drink some wine. Let me start you off a quote. Um, this first one is, is from uh, Will McKenzie, uh, who you might know as the protagonist of uh, British sitcom The Inbetweeners. Um, yeah, friend of the show. Friend of the show. The next level up from Dutch courage is Dutch dickhead. <laughs> which, which I think is important to bear in mind. When um, when 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 drinking, that it yes, it can it can aid confidence. It can it can grease the wheels of of uh, sociality. But um, yeah, be warned. Um, and I think it plays nicely. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a, there's a fine line. Quote. There's a fine line. There is a fine line, and I'd like to think know what you think of it in comparison to this this next quote from uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, friend of the show. Um, <laughs> In victory, you deserve champagne. In defeat, you need it. Very nice, very nice. I have a not too dissimilar quote, which, uh, in fact, I was going to read to you later, but you know what? Let me read to you now, because what it seems like is most people have actually rehashed this idea, but I thought uh, Charles Bukowski, the uh, famously depressing American writer, had an interested added dimension to his take on it. He said something similar, which went as follows. That's the problem with drinking, I thought as I poured myself a drink. If something bad happens, you drink in an attempt to forget. 
if something good happens, you drink in in order, in order to celebrate. And here's where he distinguishes himself. And if nothing happens, you drink in order to make something happen. What a... So he's really covering covering all angles with his alcoholism here. Well, yeah, I suppose that is... Um... It's funny, right? Because I, I think... I don't know that it is alcoholic necessarily until that last part where you say drink to make something <laughs> to happen. And drinking to get should be done in extreme moderation. Um, yeah, it's true. Without that last part, it sounds more like drinking um, applies to rituals and allows us mm. to either enhance moments of pleasure or facilitate moments of difficulty. Yeah, it's, uh, drinking is, is, is an occasion, really. It's, yeah. it's, it's when something impactful happens and you want to uh, celebrate the celebrate a night to remember ironically with a substance that famously has amnesiac properties yeah that's true but that being said you know it's uh, it's it's sometimes to um, honor a memory and cement it but often it's also it can be to forget you know which is the other side of it and uh and also, that is not the relationship that everyone has to drinking, you know. True. Uh, some people are much less moderate, uh, and some people are, are much more guarded in their approach to drinking. Now, Adam, off the mm. top of your head, yeah. taking aside for a second the fact that you know exactly what this show is about, would you consider alcohol, and in particular red wine, because this is what we're both drinking, and that was an intentional decision, to be healthy? Because I'm sure you, as I, have heard this rumour circulating around about its beneficial health properties. Yeah, I've heard that a glass a day can be healthy. I am extremely sceptical. <laughs> well, I think sceptical is a healthy attitude to take. I've done some research. I've been in contact, one-sided as per usual, <laughs> with... with uh, at this point, I think, a regular friend of the show, uh, Healthline, that, a genuine uh, friend of the show, Healthline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we could say a friend of the show in the same way we might refer to a, a patron yeah, as, as, as that, because they're really starting to become a bedrock for, for pseudoscientific knowledge and <laughs> questionable <laughs> article structure. How many this to wait? I'm going to take a guess. Um, eight. <laughs> well, I've actually, I've actually taken a different approach this time. Uh, it for for but perhaps it was a a momentous occasion in their timeline. But Healthline has actually done a pretty thorough job with alcohol and health. Okay. okay. And um, they have covered it over multiple al uh, mul multiple articles. Yeah. And uh, with that in mind, I think it would be it would. Uh, what I've done is a synopsis, essentially, of of uh, of some of the ideas that they've put forward, which I would now like to put forward to you. Oh, please. It would be a short podcast if you didn't. <laughs> Probably wouldn't exist. Probably yeah. wouldn't exist. Yeah, th yeah that's called a thought <laughs> if, you, if you don't share it. <laughs> okay. Well, to have my thoughts embodied then. Uh, Healthline, yes, it, it has um, it has some articles. And indeed, it has an article uh, entitled the, the Health Benefits of Drinking wine is alcohol good for you and the first point that it makes is that one of the relationships that alcohol has to a particular compound which makes it at least considerably healthy for you um, in small doses at least is that of antioxidants 
Mm. Right. So red wine is known, red wine in particular is known for having a high dosage of antioxidants. And these antioxidants are supposedly what are good for you. And, you know, they've, I've been heard to say that they, they prevent you from aging. They, or they reverse your aging process even, which is an altogether more exaggerated claim. But, um, yeah, so, so what are antioxidants actually? Tell me. Well, in... Uh, now, in, can in, I guess? You, you're going to, so you might as well. <laughs> well okay, I'm going to do it in very colloquial terms, right? Uh, so what I reckon is, oxygen, good for you. No denying that. But, it's good for you in the form O2. And when it's just O, it's just floating around the body, stealing oxygen from different molecules in there, damaging them, right? But if, so, the, if it was stealing <laughs> but if it was stealing molecules, wouldn't the, the first molecule it stole turn it into O2, which is oxygen, which is good for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying I'm not saying there's just one O floating around. I'm saying we acquire them somehow, right? Okay. There is nothing correct uh, about this theory. If you still uh, want to continue... Antioxidants are like a vacuum cleaner. I guess I can't stop you. It goes around the blood and it goes... And sucks up all of the single oats. Free radicals, they're called. I did know that, but that was the extent of it. Yeah, so that's one way of looking at things. The other uh, correct way of looking <laughs> at things... <laughs> Is that, well, antioxidants are defined actually almost in the negative because they're compounds that prevent cellular damage caused by inflammation and oxidative stress, right? Mm. So the more antioxidants you have, uh, the less oxidative stress you have and the less inflammation, which is why also alcohol is said to reduce inflammation, which we will get to shortly. Now, what is oxidative stress, you ask? I answer. Well, I'm glad you're having oxidative both sides of this conversation. <laughs> Adam, Adam, I'm doing a thing. Please don't talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unqualified guides a good life with Nick Schmaler and Healthline. <laughs> Oxidative stress is a condition caused by an imbalance between antioxidants and unstable molecules, which are called free radicals. So, the important thing that you need to take away from this is that antioxidants and the unstable molecules known as free radicals are jostling for a particular balance in your body. And if that balance is achieved, they can unlock some healthy properties. The reason being, free, the, the free radicals, the, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the free radicals are in your body because they help your inflammation system, your, your immunity system, actually. So they, they're healthy, but in moderation. If they go okay. too far, they can actually start attacking your cells. And um, so therefore you your body have... will degenerate. So if you don't have free radicals, you're more liable to get get a cold, for example. Yeah, but but you 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 they're there, they exist. They're unstable molecules. They they help you. Um, and as far as I understand, yes, that's part of their contribution to your organism, which is why they're there to begin with. I but don't have an organism. If you don't talk about if that you <laughs> if you have too many of them, uh, they they will start to, um, well, you will enter what is called oxidative stress which can damage your DNA and other important molecules in your body and sometimes even lead to the death of certain cells. And this damage to your DNA increases your risk of cancer, and some scientists um, argue that it also plays a pivotal role in the aging process, right? So, so antioxidants are actually just there to regulate these uh, free radicals. And if these free radicals run loose, they, will, they, they can be quite harmful to your, um, 
to your cells and your DNA and your cell structure. And so the idea of having enough antioxidants keep you healthy, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. But uh, is is wine the only way to get antioxidants? No, no. So you have antioxidants in actually all plant and animal life, right? But there are differing kinds and concentrations of antioxidants. But most living organisms, organisms, excuse me, require them to stay alive. Right. Right. So actually, uh, for instance, the different kinds of vitamins are antioxidants. So like vitamin C and E are particularly important antioxidants to the health of your system. Right. Um, and uh, and and so you get you get a lot of them from a uh, your diet, actually, just eating, particularly vegetarian diets, eating a lot of uh, fruit and vegetables. You get all these there's these vitamins, these antioxidants um, and, you know, some some categories are richer than others. But um, you get basically everything you need from food. So the argument that wine provides you with uh, antioxidants that make you healthier is not necessarily true because yes it is a source of that but it's not the only source of that right yeah um so yeah so i think it's kind of it's it's a it's a tricky thing to say that uh to ask whether whether it's good for you or not because in a sense it, it may have some healthy properties but uh it's it's not like you couldn't have those acquire those things without it right a healthy diet will just cover all of that yeah, is that supposed to be the only health benefit of, of wine? Uh, no, well, no, not necessarily. So, so it says uh, it, it also helps combat inflammation, right? And um, uh, uh, which, which again, I, I didn't exactly know how to define. Uh, looked that up, and um, it, it's defined as your body's process of fighting against things that harm it, such as infections, injuries, and toxins in an attempt to heal itself, right? So it's the body's process of um, concentrating, uh, you know, sp spaces where you've either been hurt or your body has been damaged and, and putting your body on high alert so that it's working harder, pumping blood to those areas um, and, and helping you basically heal and restore yourself. But it can, it can um, become uh, a prolonged state. So you're enjoying your wine there. I'm gonna have I little, am enjoying my drink. wine. I just took a, a swirling sip of it, watching the colours dance around the glass. Nice moment, um, but yeah. So, so um, information. Information. Long story short, is is detrimental uh, to you if if you remain in the state of alertness for too long, right? Again, I it can see. be reduced to stress reduction, diet, exercise, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Because I, 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 this is the thing with chronic stress, right? It's it's the 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 prolonged release of cortisol, which is supposed to get you out of like a tiger attacking you. Yeah, not yeah. not living in London, for example. <laughs> like, absolutely, absolutely. Or dealing um, with a global pandemic. <laughs> Indeed. So yeah. So uh, much like your dose of antioxidants in the body, inflammation can also be reduced through other ways, such as simply exercising, mm. remaining healthy, right, um, and eating well, right. But that being said, there have been studies which have been conducted which suggests that moderate consumption of either wine or beer, which make uh, the uh, results, the, the scientists who behind the study theorize that actually it may be ethanol rather than red wine, specifically in the case of inflammation, that actually helps reduce inflammation. But they, they found that moderate intake, which is about 40 grams, um, which amounts to, as you said, one, one cup actually for women and, and, and one glass for, uh, two glasses for men, mm. uh, 300 milliliters, up to 300 milliliters, is actually um, more effective in reducing inflammation 
even when accounting for other uh, factors and confounders, than either heavy drinking or no drinking whatsoever, right? But there are other studies to disprove that data and suggest that that's actually not quite true. So it's it's actually still a fairly inconclusive, and the studies are also very limited in their scope because they focused on um, particularly red wine, uh, which was which was of interest because of its high dosage of antioxidants to begin with. Yeah, and it would be interesting actually to see here who this this study was was conducted on because I know a problem um, in a lot of uh, research that involves human trials is that it's particularly in psychology, which this isn't, but but I think it still stands, is that a lot of research takes place on on uh, white university age men, right? So a fairly right. healthy proportion of the population anyway. Mm. So yeah, so well, so this study is itself on the National Library of Medicine, I think, in America. Um, which is on uh, which I found on a website uh, PubMed, which I think stands for Publish Publication Medical Something dot gov, um, and was conducted on uh, representative samples, cross sectional samples of okay. the general population okay. in uh, Augsburg, Glasgow, and Lille. Right, so Germany, okay. Scotland, and France, and um, yeah. involved involved two thousand two hundred and seventy five men and two thousand one hundred and eighty six women between the ages okay. of twenty five and seventy five. Oh, so this right, is actually so they, a, a very representative study, a big study. Yeah, this is this is a quite a substantial study. And they found that um yeah, overwhelmingly in the case of alcohol, actually inflammation um is reduced by a moderate consumption of either wine or beer. I see. Well that's um yeah. That, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, now, one of the reasons why red wine is often thought of as being healthier than white wine is simply because there is a lack of scientific backing for the actual impact of white wine on your personhood, because the studies have majoritarily been concentrated on red wine up until this point. Is that just because scientists like red wine? What it might reason be. For that? Honestly, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. Why is red wine prioritised? Yeah, well, I think maybe because of the antioxidant property was identified first, maybe because of its cultural place. Um, and maybe, I will allow you to get to that in, in a moment. But I would perhaps like to conclude simply by saying that, uh, you know, aside from uh, the antioxidant properties and the reduction in inflammation, there are also potentially other health properties, although they're not generally significant or worth pointing out to the same extent. There are also potentially psychological benefits. So moderate mm. drinking activity might be actually beneficial to you, might help combat depression. But in all of these studies, the most crucial word that I came across was moderation. Yeah. And very, very restricted dosage of up to one or two glasses, that traditional Mediterranean style consumption of red wine in particular, because excessive of that and quite quickly, the problems became detrimental, right? Yeah. So there is a high risk involved in that consumption. I think that's a fairly obvious notion. And the point really is that alcohol cannot do anything for you health-wise that a well-regulated diet, healthy sleep, and exercise can do for you. However, there is a wealth of, of studies that indicate um, its negative impact, yeah. quite, quite frankly. Yeah. That, um, so yeah, if, if you're wondering whether you can become healthier by drinking alcohol, don't pick it up. <laughs> you don't need it but you may find solace in knowing that yeah. one or two glasses a day is not only acceptable because and that in itself is already beneficial but also that it may actually help in specific cases with regards to certain human illnesses and conditions yeah and i think it's also as we, we, we said before right with, with the quotes it's such a, a social thing um mm -hmm. 
it's 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 widely acknowledged that drinking on your own isn't great um right usually and it should be celebratory and and with friends and i think that you know the the health benefits of sociality don't depend on alcohol but i think you know the two probably right. coincide um fairly often and that, yeah. that's yeah. worth considering yeah Actually, a quick uh, revision, uh, a note which I had missed here, is that red wine has been widely acknowledged for its high concentration of resveratrol, which is a potent antioxidant found in grape skins. So the red grape skin. Yeah, well, uh, I finished my glass. And then I proceed. (laughs) And then I and then I launched myself into this sentence. Well. (laughs) It's, it's interesting what you say about red grape skin, because that actually leads me um, into my, 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 my first point, which is um, I, unprecedentedly for this show, have actually consulted an expert when it comes to wine. Um, oh, that is unprecedented. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're getting ahead of, of ourselves, Adam. <laughs> I know, I know. Who do we think we are? Yeah. Um, good friend good of friend yours, of... acquaintance of the show. Acquaintance of the show. <laughs> Um, Agnesa, thank you Agnesa, uh, has a, a master's degree in, in viticulture. Viticulture is, is the growing of wine. Um, and something she told me today, she told me several things today, but I thought this was maybe the most interesting. Red wine does not come necessarily from red grapes. You can make either red wine or white wine from red or white grapes. What gives it the colour is just how long the grape skin is left in the sort of the sort of mixture while everything's fermenting. Mm, wow. And if you take it out right straight away, it becomes white wine. If you leave it in for a little bit, it becomes rosé. And if you leave it in for a long time, it, it becomes wow. uh, red wine. So you can drink red red uh, wine from white grapes and vice versa? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Fascinating. Um, and what, did she, what else did she tell me? She told me, she, oh, she told me so many things, Nick. It's very interesting. Um, apparently, yeah, it sounds interesting. Um, I like it a lot. Yeah, wine uh, grown in. So, so she says that the the uh, antioxidative effect comes from sulfates. Um, now, I'm not entirely sure what sulfates are, but apparently they're important. They also have antimicrobial properties, and that the uh, temperature where wine are grown is not actually necessarily uh, that important. We often think of, of wine regions as quite warm. Italy, Spain, France, California. Um, mm. Switzerland. But... Well, there is some wine grown in Switzerland, <laughs> but it's not famous for it. Um, uh, but, well, we're proud, uh, we're, proud, we're proud of our wine. Yeah, yeah that's true, actually. Perhaps um, inordinately. But I know I like Swiss wine. That's not fair. Uh, but the thing about Switzerland is... She says that warm climates will produce wine with more alcohol because sugar process, uh, produced by photosynthesis is, is what becomes ethanol and, and heat allows that to happen faster, I guess. Uh, but while and cooler well, climates... Yeah, you're a scientist. Produce, I, I take you I'm a, I'm a scientist, yeah. I, I do have a Bachelor of Science. I am a Bachelor of Science, but I don't deserve to be. Uh, my degree <laughs> should not have been a BSc. <laughs> Uh, and now I'm doing an MSc, and it also doesn't deserve to be, but there we go. Yeah. Um, Pretty soon you'll be a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> Blagging your way through it all. <laughs> <laughs> but cooler climates produce fresher wines because of a higher concentration mm. of malic acid, which degrades with heat. The only problem with cooler climates is uh, it, it could be sub- the grapes could be subject to a late frost, which would, which would kill the, um, the grapes, as happened in Switzerland uh, a few years back 
when there was, um, at least in Zurich, I don't know about Geneva, there was a snow in May and, and almost the entire grape crop was, was wiped out for that year. Wow. Um, yeah, and apparently, last, last fact about so, the actual growing of Don. So, yeah, so I mean, to, just to summarize that, that last point of yours is that uh, uh, heat actually intensifies the concentration of alcohol within yeah. within the final liquid and uh, a cold wine is actually fresh wine. Yes, so or tastes fresher, I think. So, a wine grown in in Sicily um, would be more potent than a, than a wine produced in in say say Kent. Um, uh, but uh, but apparently, I made this point, uh, and my friend Anyeza said that you know Sicily and um, some other regions in in southern Italy um, will will not uh, be able to produce wine in in fifty years or so probably because um, of, of climate change. And that's not because it gets too hot, but rather because they, they won't have enough water. Um, yes, yeah, Italy, Puglia, uh, Sardinia. Um, so, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Water, water, that is it, what, in the soil? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so there, is a, there is, there is like, like all life, there is a, a, a temperature window at which it can exactly. <laughs> survive. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, that I thought was very interesting, and it was very exciting to consult uh, an expert for, for the show. Thank you again, Anyeza. But now... Yeah, Nick, well, that's... <laughs> Thank you, Anyeza. Um, yeah, I want to take you on a journey from Italy to Greece to thousands of years it. ago and to the Symposia. Great. Now, that symposia, sounds wonderful. It, it, you know what? It does. I read an article on National Geographic called Wine, Women and Wisdom, the Symposia of Ancient Greece. <laughs> National Geographic taking a markedly more materialistic turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, honestly, Nick, sounds great to tell you the it truth. It does sound pretty good. Uh, and, and please just um, interrupt any time that you think of something that we should uh, incorporate into our own lives or should experience at some point. So. Very well. I think when we think of symposium now, we think of like academic conferences, sort of big summits. But the word symposium are derived from Greek words which mean drinking together. Um, and a symposium could be held to mark any number of festifications. It could be uh, an athletic success. Uh, the successful opening of a play, family celebration, or the homecoming or, or, or departure of a friend. And we have a couple of accounts of these, one from Xenophon and one from, I believe, Plato. And basically, it, it's pretty informal. Um, you might bump into someone in the street or at the Agora, and you say, hey, come to my place, we're going to have a, 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 a symposium. And it would it, no. such a grand word for drinking at the pub. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a drinking club, um, and in these drinking, actually, the the end of the article, which uh, perhaps puts a, a downer on, on on some of this, suggests that um, the 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 closest sort of uh, equivalent that we have to these symposia today 
are uh, American fraternities or, or the sort of drinking societies right. that are yeah. very well, they, 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 it's, it's a noble tradition. They yeah. take a lot of their symbolism from uh, ancient Greece, so maybe maybe this is also befitting. Well, well, that's that is of course true. Um, now, I, with with a few notable exceptions, and I think you'll, you'll pick up on where these are. Uh, the idea is that although it's informal, you had to be clean before arriving to a to a symposium. You had to shower. You couldn't. You had to be shaved. All of that. Even Socrates, famously dishevelled, would show up <laughs> smartened up for these. That's prejudice. I mean, it's National National Geographic's words, not my. I keeping that. Finish my wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> We're keeping that. Yep. Now, when you arrived at the symposium, you would be shown by a slave to the Andron, and the Andron means the and Andron means man's room, and wealthy Greek men would have these rooms. With brightly coloured frescoes, where they would they would show their guy friends, and then they'd all lie down on these couches, uh, and each couch could hold two, and then you'd compliment the decor, and then you'd start drinking. Um, and oh, it's a nice tradition, <laughs> nice place. Yeah. This, cheers. Yeah, yeah, cheers. Exactly. And what would happen is you'd you you'd get be passed around the same cup, and a slave would refill it each time. Right. Okay. Um, uh, but you'd all drink from the cup. And in theory, you were limited to three cups of wine. Because if you had three cups of wine, you'd be a bit drunk by the end of it. Um, but not at the beginning. But apparently, this three-cup limit, because it was considered it was considered barbarous to both be sober and drunk. But I think the three-cup limit was regularly flaunted. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me, honestly. Yeah. I've seen it flaunted many a time in my own past. <laughs> Uh, as as have we all, I think, um, and and this is where it really gets. So so Greeks would actually drink wine differently to us. It would be a bit stronger. It'd be about sixteen percent as opposed to the sort of eleven twelve that we generally have now. And it'd be diluted, and honey would sometimes be added. Um, two parts wine to five parts water, I believe. Um, and then you drink, and there would be someone right who is nominated to be the leader of the symposium, a symposiaka. And he set the rules. And if you disobeyed the Sympathiaca, you'd have to do, like, forfeits. Like, you'd have to dance around naked, or you'd have to run around the room with a flautist on your back. Because they would That's have great. a flautist, um, apparently. Yeah. The Spotify of its day was just a flautist. <laughs> um, well, someone needs to get the party started. Exactly. But, and in addition to the flautist, you would have... Um, you, you might have women doing uh, a play, or... Uh, the hetera, who were courtesans. And these were the only women allowed at the symposia, were the courtesans and the, and the, perform the sort of exotic dancers as well. Um, and it would all start off with a, with a toast to Zeus, and then you might tell riddles or play music or, or draw uh, caricatures of each other, and that would be your evening. That sounds lovely. I, from now on, will personally be toasting to Zeus Every time I drink, because yeah. that's now it can be some other grand. Olympian as well. Right. Well, I will make a point of learning them, but for now it will be Zeus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the Sky Father, um, Chin Chin. <laughs> chin Chin. <laughs> that's wonderful. So uh, that 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 practice is is um, is a very old one, which is of, is, uh, of no surprise to us. Of course, uh, we could have also done some research into uh, animals who like to intoxicate themselves. I hear uh, dolphins have a penchant for that. So do certain monkeys. 
you know so get, oh, getting yeah, high yeah, yeah. uh in in a certain sense is um a very primal instinct and uh, certainly yeah. as soon as we had civilization we also had alcohol and degeneracy uh you know well i read one probably um, starting before the greek it, it, it certainly did uh, i mean i think beer predates wine and that goes back maybe maybe eight thousand years and there is a theory that that bread was actually developed as a byproduct of trying to make beer um wow <laughs> someone was trying to make solid beer just so they could keep it in their pocket <laughs> yeah i mean wouldn't you it's funny that there's not because you have those little chocolates, right? But edible alcohol never really... There's not really a thing Caught about on. them, like in chocolates and cakes. No, um, no. But I, I think that makes sense. You know, yeah. it would feel quite gluttonous to have the 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 filling of your stomach with both that food and then the, the actual um, alcoholic effects, you know, attributed to that. It's kind yeah. of like space cakes. They're cool, but, uh, you know, they can't replace the, the pleasure of smoking a joint. So I hear... So I hear. So I wouldn't know I'm a good hear. Christian boy. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but that's purely speculative and, and there's no research to back that up. It's just a more of a cultural <laughs> practice in general. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, that, that this really highlights sort of interesting cultural practice, um, both in, in the sort of explicit culture, which is have three glasses uh, and then you, that, that will get you through, like spaced out, and then you'll be a little bit tipsy at the end, but not rambunctious. Versus the practice, which is, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Of course, I mean, of course, it it can also be. I don't know if twisted is the right word, but it's the word I'm going to use now. Twisted uh, to appear sophisticated. Whether there is any merit to that, I don't know. I really don't know enough about that. But obviously, uh, accompanying wine to food and developing a palate sophisticated enough to be able to distinguish between the subtleties and nuances that exist within wine is uh, generally quite respected, actually. It's considered to be oh, quite, yeah. uh, quite a, a luxury of uh, education <laughs> and privilege, yeah. in a sense. It, it, it's a conference of status. Sommeliers are, are very impressive. Um, and I wouldn't know... You know how you hear them say, oh, it's got notes of, like, vanilla and wood smoke? Yeah, and, yeah. And I don't know what they're talking about. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you, like... Neither, clearly neither do I, frankly. Agree. I mean, uh, yeah. But uh, perhaps, perhaps at some point we will revisit the topic. We will broaden it, and and uh, yeah. you know, if the day arrives, we will we will actually have experts on, on the show with us. <laughs> and oh God, I hope they so. might be One able day. to co- to con- to convey some information onto us. I um I went to a wine tasting once, and I I thought it would be really pretentious. I went because it was a it was a charity thing that my my friend had organised, and it was actually brilliant. It was this South African guy running it. He was a sommelier. He was telling jokes and he gave you some good tips to make uh, bad wine better. And he said, if you've got bad wine, um, cheap wine. Because I've heard that you shouldn't spend, generally, unless you're a real enthusiast, never spend less than, I think it was £10 on wine. Never spend more than about £20 on wine because it's, it's not worth it at either end. Um, mm. But if you do have cheap wine, you can make it better by, one, adding a little bit of sugar. that gets rid of some of the, the tartness. Or two, putting it in a blender and just wearing it around, it airs it a lot quickly. There's a bit of air into it, which apparently improves the flavor Interesting. as well. I've not tried either of those things. No. But if I remember them, I will try and apply them next time I have shit wine, which will probably be the next time I have wine. Yeah, next so. time I have to pay for it myself and can't just take <laughs> it from my parents. <laughs> oh, God. Exactly. Now, we should probably say to the listeners that 
We're, we're both 23-year-old men who have been forced, forced by circumstance to move back in with our parents. And that's we have, fine. We're, and we're, and our, pa- our parents are not the same. We're not in the same house. <laughs> We're not brothers, but... Um, no. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, that, but, that... But here we happen. are. Here we are. Well, well uh, thank you. I think there's a lot uh, in this topic that we haven't explored. I think what we have explored, we've even explored um, superficially because there is so much more that we could talk about. But uh, this makes for a good start, and uh, I personally enjoyed my glass of wine. I feel very moderate. I feel uh, maybe maybe I'll have another one. Maybe maybe I'll have another Ooh. drink. Who Ooh. knows? <laughs> but I don't want to, uh, you know, imperil the health benefits that I'm currently tapping into for this very moderate dosage. You know. <laughs> so. Well, well then perhaps Nick, um, it. It would be good to to cleanse your palate of the wine and uh, share a little. I would. I would love in. that. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will take the initiative to start this time. Okay. And uh, uh, having currently been reading a book on Switzerland, and also having at some other point in a previous episode made the claim that I wanted to bring more information about Switzerland to the forefront of what we do. Well, I've I've always been fascinated by the neutrality of the Swiss, and so have the people who know anything about Switzerland. I think it's it's been it's always quite an enigmatic thing for a country in the middle of Europe to be, you know, uh, so uninvolved with the last uh, at least uh, certainly a hundred years of world history in particular, but uh, a, a considerable amount of European history and such a high degree of isolation, you know. And this neutrality is often accompanied with a state of, sense of peace and stability, which is, I think, true of the way Switzerland lives. But that's also mm. not to say that Switzerland is not a military country. Now, as you know, all Swiss men from the age of 20 onwards must do military training, yeah. right? Uh, of uh, up, to, up to, I think it is six months, and, and uh, that can be spread out over a number of years, or, or pay a tax for a certain amount of time until that yeah. obligation has been fulfilled yeah um and and those and those men up until recently uh carried both their guns and their bullets uh yeah. with them and kept those at home now the bullets are no longer kept at home but the guns are so all swiss men above a certain age are expected to be militarily trained and holding a gun at home which is a pe- peculiar fact for a country which has not been involved in any wars of late or in fact almost ever Right. Yeah. Um, well, but the point that, that I'm yeah. that, that yeah the the point that I'm trying to get to really is that in the first half of 2019 uh, is the specific figure, but you can just double it for the entirety of the year. But the article I'm quoting from SwissInfo.ch: Swiss companies exported nearly 273 million Swiss francs, which is 276 million dollars worth of war material in the first half of 2019. And wow. that uh, compares with 205 million from the same period last year. So the, the Swiss are, are spending about half, uh, are making about half a billion um, on, of, in exports of weaponry. Um, and, they, exactly. and they sell to 57 different countries on the export list. And this is from a study by the State Secretariat for Economic Affairs. Uh, and uh, uh, is, it, the figures, uh, and these figures are based on information provided by exports in their uh, exporters in their export declarations. Um, but yeah, for instance, in 2019, uh, uh, the Swiss sold 13 million worth of ammunition to uh, Pakistan, 
at a time when it faced a mounting a conflict with neighboring India. And it continues um, at least un- all the way through 2019 to export uh, arms to uh, various different actors in the Yemeni conflict as well. So Switzerland, a nation of peace, but also funding wars abroad and ready to defend itself at a moment's notice. Yeah, I am. Um, that that's all uh, interesting and and not not surprising if you if you have uh, lived in Switzerland a while. We could do a whole episode on Switzerland and how its its peace and stability is is built off of uh, quietly profiting from from its bad behavior abroad. The rest of the world uh, I mean, since yeah. the rest of the world and not just in in security. We could talk about banking. We could talk about FIFA. We could talk about the Olympic Committee. Yeah. All of those are here in Switzerland. It's a very enigmatic country, but I thought yeah, I would offer that yeah. as as. Uh, uh, opening up a, a more uh, nuanced and, and complicated image of Switzerland, particularly its pride and its neutrality, and even the resemblance it bears to the Red Cross, right, and the and the and the connection that it has to that. I mean, it was it was founded yeah. here. The flag is the opposite of that of the Swiss flag. But uh, yeah, yeah, there is a there is a dark underbelly to this uh, little bubble of utopia. <laughs> the land of milk and money, as I believe that book uh, subtitled. That's it. right. That's right. That's right. Um, very interesting. My uh, fun fact, as usual, uh, takes a lighter tone. Um, um, it also bears, a, bears a, a passing relevance to to what we discussed today. Um, the oldest continually used logo in the world is that of Stella Artois, the beer, um, which has used the same logo without um, uh, meaningful changes since 1366. Now it's important wow. to say not, not the name. Yeah, not not the name, but if you look above the name on the logo, there's a little horn, and that horn has been it predates the name Stella Artois and has been it, wow. I believe it was started in a Belgian uh, monastery and the monastery put that logo on the bottles. Seven hundred years and still going strong. Yep. I guess that's what happens when your product sells itself. Yeah. <laughs> Give it another yeah. five hundred years, I bet Marlboro will be in the running. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so I, I think we've, I think we've learned a lot today. I think, I think the big takeaway is that, um, wine complicated, but probably fine in moderation as with most of, of life's great pleasures, uh, fine to be enjoyed in, in moderation. That's right. Yeah. So, well, thank you for bearing with me for the duration of this conversation and indeed this wine glass, you know, <laughs> has it made it any easier to talk to you so far? Not markedly. But uh... I don't see why we should stop trying, though. Have another glass. <laughs> yeah, that'll help. All right. Well, Adam, I wish you a lovely evening, uh, as it as is the first time we've recorded in the evening. It is and, indeed. Uh, and I wish our lovely audience, listeners, a lovely whatever time of day it is. Insert here to you as well. Uh, yeah. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Bye.